You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Chris Bomerlow, our today guest with more than 10 years on real estate syndication and lawyer in different commercial spaces on Midwest. Please help me to welcome our guest today. How are you, Chris, today? I'm awesome, Adam. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for being with us today and taking the time. Uh, I want to start with you as a syndicator. What was the beginning for you on syndication and commercial spaces, especially you're coming from the low side of it? So what was the beginning for you on, on real estate? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I didn't take the, uh, I wasn't introduced to it through the legal route, believe it or not. I, I was a practicing attorney, but mm-hmm. I basically started investing in single family rentals while I was practicing as an attorney. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even a real estate attorney, but I, I started with single family rentals. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, after four years of, of doing all the work myself and learning the grind, which I'm glad that I did, it was important. I now know what not to do, uh, <laughs> but it, I was doing everything myself with my father. And uh, shortly thereafter is when we started in 2017, is when we started getting into uh, more multifamily. And it's the whole Burr method that that most people know about, but it works just as well with apartments as it does uh, single family homes. And that's what kind of got me interested. I think that you started in really in a good time on the cycle where I think it's uh, a lot of syndicators learned a lot on and on the syndication but what was the upside for you on on multifamily versus low well uh, there's no way that i can argue with that i was lucky with when we entered Uh, i started a great time in the cycle i wish i would have started on apartments in 2013 that would have been great yeah Uh, but um i think i lucked out too because as we all do we learn uh throughout the process and any mistakes made throughout the process, luckily I had the market to kind of catch some of those mistakes. Hmm. So I think we've been able to iron out, and obviously we're not perfect, but we've been able to iron out a lot of things throughout the process of a relatively friendly market so that we can help kind of weather through whatever the heck is going on right now. Okay. So you're, you're based more on, on, I think, on the Midwest. On You started on Ohama, Nebraska, and you're focused always, and I think, uh, Missouri, Nebraska, and th- that's it. I think we're, uh, we're in seven states. Oh, okay. uh, we're all up. Yeah, we're all up and down the Midwest. So we're as far north as Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and we're as, as far south. Mm-hmm. I guess we're in Rapid City, which is about the same latitude as Sioux Falls. So we're as far north as South Dakota, mm-hmm. and we're as far south as the Dallas Fort Worth area. Oh, okay. So do you see an upside for you to? focus on on because you just said you started on even on dallas which means you're starting on south too but what is the you see the upside of your market versus maybe florida and texas markets especially dallas because it's really different fundamentals there yeah i I think there are pros and cons to everywhere to invest but uh, we know the midwest we feel comfortable with it and it may not be as flashy always although dallas has obviously caught a lot of traction lately mm. but it's not going to catch the flashiness that maybe phoenix will where you can buy an apartment and then just naturally the next year it's appreciated 25 percent mm. uh, we're not going to see that in the midwest but we're also not going to see a 25 percent dip 
during recession times or, or any type of situation where the market's changing. Hmm. Um, we like it. We feel comfortable with it. It's a good place. And in fact, over the last four or five years, we're seeing a lot of matriculation and you know the population growth in the Midwest. So we know it, we feel comfortable, and it seems to be a nice, safe, steady play. I would like to to focus here on your specialty in in Midwest. What do you see, especially after uh, the COVID? What is the really strong uh, market fundamental on the Midwest, which is making the Midwest different than, for example, Atlanta and uh, I'm not gonna say Tennessee because Tennessee can be considered as also as a Midwest. But like, like, what is the difference on Missouri's and Atlanta and and um, Florida making the, the market is different and more strong in your yeah. opinion? Um, I think a lot of it alludes to what I had just mentioned about the, there's not, it's not as volatile. Hmm. Uh, and I, I think it's a, a safer play for us, hmm. but also, uh, you know, throughout the process of COVID and, you know, speaking of the masterminds and groups that I'm a part of, and um, you know, we, we lucked out and I don't, I'm not trying to say that I, I know people from all over the country. I do, but I don't know every single person, but we didn't have problems through COVID collecting rent. Hmm. Uh, there were situations where, uh, where we did collect, uh, where we had to work with tenants and whatnot, but for the most part, we did not see a problem with collecting rent during COVID. I have heard through uh, all of our research and the people that I've spoken with hmm. that, you're going to get a lot more problems in some other areas. I think another thing is the competition. Mm -hmm. um, it's True. really popular to invest in Atlanta. Now, there are a lot of people there, so there are more opportunities. But with those more opportunities came more investors, mm -hmm. came a difficulty in finding deals that would work. So um, that's another reason we like the Midwest. Now, Dallas is is competitive and it's getting to be pretty tough, but it's large enough to where you can help out. Some of these other places we're in, Omaha, Sioux Falls, Kansas City, Des Moines, Lincoln, um, Wichita, Manhattan, hmm. uh, Rapid City. Uh, these are great, solid fundamentals that we like in a, in the Midwest, but it's also not as competitive because, you know, as, I, as I'm speaking with family offices, crowdfunding platforms, um, they like the, they like, uh, the metrics of the population of the MSA to be over a certain threshold. And a lot of these may not qualify for that. And that's just an internal threshold they've given themselves. It's not really, uh, it, it does certainly doesn't, ha it hasn't shown to affect any of our returns or our success, but so there's just not as much competition, which allows us to be more successful. I think you mentioned really good point is the physical occupancy. How you see the actual physical occupancy, especially on COVID and before COVID, on, for example, Kansas and and Nebraska or Omaha. What's the actual? What do you see the actual physical occupancy on this areas now? Right. Yeah, now? I, you know, I, I struggle sometimes to answer this question only because um, our approach, our business plan is to we're value add. Now I understand that's a general statement, but it often consists of um, tenants leaving. Mm. A lot of the properties that we're purchasing, uh, they're, they're either not managed or owned correctly, or the business plan doesn't seem to match with what's going on mm. locally. So because of that, uh, we often see a, a tad dip in occupancy because we're losing tenants, but that actually allows us to then rehab the units, raise the rental rates, raise the income. So a blanket statement on the occupancy, 
is tough to give. Now, the question is, if it, what am I seeing with occupancy on a stabilized asset where we're done with the business plan? Mm -hmm. We're routinely in the mid-90s. There's no issue with that. In fact, the difficulty is we have properties in South Dakota that are at 100%. So mm. it's almost like, okay, that's pro that's kind of a problem, actually. We want to start testing the market, raising rents a little bit. Yeah, uh, We haven't had an issue with when, when a property has been stabilized. Okay, so you mentioned this, and now we're talking about the same issue, which is a marketing fundamental. But what is the impact you see right now of the current recession on the market fundamentals, especially is not compared be, uh, not compared to 2008 because in 2008 the main factor was real estate but now the main factor is energy and the war but right now what you see is the actual impact on recession on your day-to-day -day operation yeah you know a lot of the the people we follow the groups who are in the research that we do it's kind of unique because you'll hear different perspectives from very smart minds uh, economists, uh, you know, people who've been in this game for 30 years, you'll hear different answers. But from what I've gathered, and, the, and I feel comfortable saying is that, uh, you know, although I wasn't investing in 2008, it doesn't mean we can't go back and, and look at what happened. Um, and, you know, that was a little bit different as compared to what's going on now in that right now we're dealing with two major issues. We're dealing with, uh, a lack of uh, the workforce and um, which is a fall off of a pandemic that uh, nobody had ever really known how to prepare for in this investing sector. And, and then you throw in the inflation, which is also kind of coming in after COVID. Uh, so we're in a situation where uh, generationally we're, we love multifamily because less and less people are just buying their first home at the age of 20 and then living there the next 40 years. Mm. Generations are transient. They're moving around. They may want to work over here. They might want to live over here. And then one of the benefits of COVID, which is a weird thing to say, is that we've learned that you can accomplish a lot of these things from home. Yeah. So because of that, and that people still want to be more transient or not locked down in a, in a place that they purchased, like a single family home, multifamily is great. And that's been a benefit for us. Uh, the weird uh, thing that happened was this inflation part portion. Yeah. So now we have multifamily, which is extremely sought after by the people who are living there and now investors, but it's becoming in a, a very difficult to find deals that work when your interest rates have gone up two, two and a half, three percent in four or five months. So mm -hmm. I don't know if that's a, the best answer to your question, but there are pros and cons of what's going on. And it, it's just really unique to, to dissect what's happening uh, over the last 13 years. Because I, I don't think anybody could, well, nobody really predicted what would have happened since the COVID situation. It's just affected us in a number of ways. So how do you see the impact of this on looking for deals? You see that the, the recession right now in the Midwest impacting the flow of deals or still you see that the same flow? As before, I think relatively it's the same. And what I mean by that is if it was extremely competitive to invest in the Phoenix market, mm. it's still extremely competitive to invest in the Phoenix market. The question is, are the sellers, how long are they taking to adjust to what's really going on? Mm. It doesn't matter if we look in Phoenix or in the Midwest or uh, even in Florida, which by the way, we have looked in some different areas outside of the Midwest. I'm still not seeing a lot of these sellers realize what's going on or at least they 
they probably know, but they don't want to admit it. And so they're trying to sell as high as they can. And so what I have seen um, is when we're lucky enough to find a seller uh, that will admit for sure, we'll buy it. They'll admit that things are changing and they'll want to sell still high, but a little lower than they wanted just to get off their books because who knows what's going to happen in three months, right? Hmm. I've also seen sellers say, uh, I want this number, period. I'm not coming down. And we have taken advantage of that sometimes by offering or uh, proposing uh, a seller carry situation. Seller financing. Yeah, seller financing. Not for not for the entire deal, although we have been successful at that as well. Hmm. But we can say, look, I can't get to your numbers. I just can't. Here's my pro forma. You tell me where I'm wrong. And it, almost always, if you show them pro forma, they have a hard time telling you where you're wrong. They yeah. know it's not worth that. But we can say, look, I'm $500,000 short on this. Why don't you carry a note of $500,000 interest only over the next seven years? And that that can be a way I can get to your figure. And pr surprisingly enough, we've been really, really, really successful at that. Hmm. I Another see thing we're doing is assuming loans. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're purchasing properties that aren't worth that today if you bought it with a new loan. Hmm. But if we can buy a property that has a HUD loan fixed to it for the next 38 years, uh, Freddie, Fannie, all these, a lot of these longer loans, or even a couple local institutions, local banks that allow assumptions, that's a way for us to meet their demand or, or the seller's request. Hmm but still have it make sense on a value and cash flow perspective because the rate is so dang low because they fixed it two or three years ago or two years ago or, or, or a year ago even. That's really smart, especially, but are you able to do this on bridge loan or only in like Freddie and Mac and all of the institutional banks? I don't know the answer on the bridge loan. I've never assumed a bridge loan. I can tell you, I, I wouldn't want to assume a bridge loan right now. 98% yeah. um, of our deals are fixed interest rate loans like we we don't really mess with the with the um the, the floating rates now we have a couple and they've been affected through covid no question mm. but actually other than those two well we don't really mess with any but fixed loans so i couldn't answer that question for bridge loans uh you mentioned something really interesting that you're not like um Con like you don't like to control all, all of your business only in your estate and you're trying to figure out uh, in the business opportunity in other states, like as you mentioned, in Florida and Texas, what is the upside for you to go out and how you think you can manage uh, the properties by remote, the remote uh, uh, model? Yeah, I think it needs to be strategic. It's mm. not. It's not as if. Um... I like Miami, and if somebody sent me in a deal in Miami, then I would make it make sense, even though I'm guessing that's extremely difficult to happen uh, to, to, to make sense. It would be more strategic, meaning maybe the person that brought it to us is boots on ground. Maybe they own their own property management company right there in that location, right there in Miami. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah. Um, Phoenix, uh, some parts of Florida. Uh, even Arkansas, which is, I would still consider extremely close. In fact, we've been looking about six hours from us. So that's a, that's a bad example, but that would make, that would be why we start when it happens. Mm. If, when we invest in a state that's not right through our Midwest corridor, it would be more of the partnerships or strategies we've been able to set up for that specific investment. So right now, how, how many properties under management? We have uh, just short of 2,600 units. Mm, okay. 
Okay. Yeah, so, about 211 uh, million uh, assets under management. So what is the business focus right now? Is in B product or C product or A product? Hmm. We actually have taken down a lot more A product lately, which is great, but a lot of it has to do with assumptions. Um, we're building as well, which will be an A product. Hmm. Uh, we don't shy away from C. In fact, that's where a lot of the meat on the bone is. It's just that the stars need to align on a lot of those because uh, you have to get good debt, which can be tough. And you need to make sure that if it's going to be a C product, it's at least located in the B neighborhood. You know, we've learned that ourselves. We, we, we purchased properties that had a lot of meat on the bone. The problem is you can make it the shiniest uh, apartment in the area, but if everything surrounding it's terrible mm. and it makes it very difficult to grow. So we're still A to C, uh, but we're just being a lot more selective with our C opportunities. So how you see right now in the market, the spread between the B and C on the cap rate. Like when you're looking, because this was a debate between me and different investors before that right now there's no much spread between the B and C. So what is your current um, numbers when you're looking for deals to make it work on the C product, especially after uh, stabilizing the, 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 the actual asset? Because always we're looking for the C to have an adding value and then stabilize the 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 assets so what is the current as you see on the market right now is a cap rate for the c product especially in the midwest i think it's different between different cities but like for example in kansas and omaha what what is yeah it? i mean yeah it certainly is different and us being in seven states it, it differs a little between every state but um i i would venture to say that the the difference between class a and class c cap rates are are, are relatively small in, in most places i see which is again, kind of relates back to what I said earlier about some sellers not realizing what's going on right now or not wanting to admit. But, um, you know, the cap rate discussion for us is always kind of a, a unique discussion. I have to have it with a lot of investors and and I've certainly had this discussion on podcasts or groups that I've been in. The cap rate for us doesn't matter that much. And what I mean by that is, sure, we'd like to have it not be, you know, lower than our debt. Um, but, or yeah, but when we purchase something, oftentimes the cap rate is extreme. It's lower than the the areas because of the way it's currently being operated. Hmm. So if you were to take the, we're not buying fully stabilized, maximized NOI properties because those aren't value add. So. Our cap rates, uh, we may buy a, a, a C-class property at like 4.8% cap rate, but that's because they, they're they 40% low on their income. Hmm. They're 20% too high on their expenses. So the current NOI is, I'm sorry, the current cap rate is not something we typically um, really care about that much. But basically your question was, am I seeing a big difference? And I'm not. I'm really not. Hmm. I think what you mentioned is really uh, beneficial because- you are saying, okay, after I stabilize my properties, the cap rate is gonna be seven, six and a half, and I have to compare this to my interest rate, which is six, five, four, whatever, and you have to find this spread between the cap rate and your interest rate. I mean, you do, and you don't want your interest rate to be higher. higher. Yeah, <laughs> um, you're gonna lose. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, 
the way we look at it and the way that most people would look at this adventure to say is the, the, the cap rate is, should be from an investor's perspective, the, the importance of the cap rate is to identify the value of the asset stabilized. That to me is what matters Hmm. because of course, on these value adds, on these properties that are simply not working very well, the cap rate's low, but that doesn't mean there isn't value in the property. It's like buying a business. It's literally what you're doing, but it's like buying a business. There are many people that have been successful in buying an underperforming business and making it succeed. But if they would have decided not to move forward on the old business's financials, Hmm. then they would have failed to realize the opportunity. So that's why cap rate for me, I get the question all the time, like, are you sure you should buy this? It's only a 4.9 cap rate. And I heard it's 5.5 in that area. And it's like, well, yeah, but this should be performing way better. And therefore it's not really, it's a, it's a 4.9 now, but we'll get it to where it should be. If that makes sense. It's just going to impact you, I think, on, on lending side, especially with bridge loan or fixed loan. But eventually, as you mentioned, this is the goal. You find disturbant uh, property to make it better and make a better NOI. So uh, I agree with you on this. Well, and so, and a lot of our lenders will agree to a certain interest only period where hmm. they're not as stressed about the DSCR or they're not worried about your ability to make monthly payments because you've provided to them your business plan saying that sooner or later, it's going to far exceed where it's currently at. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, I think my hardest question always in the show is how you define your superpower. Ah, I like that question. Um, You mean, what would my superpower be? Yeah. I, I think that uh, my, well, this isn't the, the funnest, the, this is not the most fun superpower, super superhero to watch, but I think it's my yearning to just succeed at all costs. Uh, I don't want to give myself a superhero name, but I understand that's not as fun as being invisible or being able to fly. But um, I, I truly feel, and maybe this is my legal background. I used to be a practicing attorney. Is I, I feel as though in many instances you can find yourself to the correct resolution or the preferred result, hmm. and I think oftentimes people may give up. To give you an example. Uh, during COVID and or even now in this interest rate environment, um, we had a couple of business plans where we anticipated at the time of purchase that we would be able to refinance. So our whole approach is buy and hold. Mm. So we'll buy a $10 million apartment. We'll make it worth $13 million and then we'll refinance. All the investors get back their capital. They stay in, they continue to earn the cash flow, and we ride it off into the sunset. Uh, if I would have underwritten that three years ago, I would have said, I think we can do this in 48 months. Yeah. Whereas now with rates hiking, it's going to be closer to five years, maybe. Now, luckily for us, we we always knew that we could get it done in two years, but we told the investors five to seven years because I wanted to make sure they were comfortable with their capital being locked up for five to seven years as opposed to two years. But um, I'm using this as an example of readjusting and making sure we can come up to the, the 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 best result for everybody instead of throwing in a towel or being worried we weren't successful in two years maybe just not taking distributions for one quarter but now your distributions have close to doubled the next one so that we could do the things we needed to i think sometimes people throw in the towel a little too quickly and kind of give up 100 percent, 100 percent. mentorship how do you see the impact of the mentorship on your real estate career and who is your influential mentor so far 
on your career? I, I'm a huge supporter of uh, mentors, coaches. Mm. Um, you know, outside of the million YouTube videos and podcasts and everything I've ever watched, books I've read, those are kind of mentors. Of course, they should be. Um, you know, I started off with a, a business coach, a, a guy named Trevor McGregor. I think he's pretty well known in the space because he was actually Joe Fairless's coach. Mm. Um, he was great, you know, and he was a combination of all different types of coaches, business, personal and everything. But he, he, he's, he mm. was great. Um, you know, we work with another guy named Rick Farber, uh, who, who runs a, an outfit called Growth Guru. Mm. And that's really more about how to build a business because we own a, a handful of businesses. Mm. Um I, the reason I think it's important is that, and what I've certainly learned just, you know, full circle back when I said I did four single family homes, mm. if I would have had a coach day one, I wouldn't have spent four years getting four single family homes. I would have been taught how to maybe learn from one, uh, maybe learn from two, but then help move that into where I wanted to be. So you can either teach everything yourself, which takes a lot longer, or you can just learn from the coach, the teacher. It's why you go to school, you know? So 100%. 100%. I agree on this. Uh, I think so much. Thank you so much for being with us today. And my final question will be how the people can follow your success. Mm, I appreciate it. Uh, so our, our group is Levin Wealth Capital. Uh, we're on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Instagram, all, all the social media. Uh, Chris at levenwealth.com is the email. And I'm always interested in, in speaking with uh, investors or, or other people looking to sponsor deals or really anybody who's interested in the space. I, I sincerely could talk about it whenever, wherever. We're really excited about it. And we're, doing, we're doing good things. So I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much for being inside on the Midwest market. And we're really happy to bring you again to the show to talk more about your success on the Midwest and other states. Thank you. Appreciate it, Adam. Thank you a lot.